0: Hey there, welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I am your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact. Our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we want to connect you with impactful mission-driven leaders and concepts that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. I am joined by our chief of impact, Sarah Fanslau today. Sarah, great to be on here with you. Hey,
1: Tucker, great to be here.
0: You know and we're uh this is the really the second in a four-part series around strategic planning and i remember as we talked in our last one of why are so many strategic plans going wrong like why do we have this cliche inside of strategic planning and nonprofits that the old cliche of uh, nonprofits sitting on the shelf or not sorry strategic plans sitting on the shelf gathering dust and so we wanted to go through why those things happen, and some of our approaches uh, that we take when it comes to strategic planning, so that way it's actually effective for a nonprofit. What a concept, huh?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, we see this all the time. People create plans and goals, and then they put them on the shelf, uh, often because you know only a few people participated in making those plans and those goals. So there's no buy-in, right? Um, And so nobody wants to work against them, 100%. What have you seen? What are some of the reasons why you think plans are sitting on the shelf?
0: Oh, mainly because they're top-down oriented, right? It's people coming up with answers and telling everybody else what to do. Uh, I think, too, because they don't include all voices. I mean, there's so many things. um, People have energy towards what they get to create. Three, they come at it from a a Mm. wrong approach. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit more today come at it from an approach that doesn't build on the strengths, it actually can uh, almost build off of what's wrong, which we don't really enjoy talking about that sometimes. Um, But we have a different approach here in terms of how to go about doing it. And also because people don't uh, treat it as a a dynamic direction, they treat it as a plan that's like, now it's done.
1: It's static.
0: Yeah, it's like a static plan, hence sitting on the shelf gathering dust, like we did that thing, now it's done. When this is really not a strategic plan it's actually a strategic direction that we need to learn 100%. more about and live into and explore
1: i so. love that well that's a perfect segue into my first question for you um we use a few things at the base of our approach here at thrive impact to help folks ensure those things we just talked about don't happen and I'd love for you to define them for us. So what is appreciative inquiry and co-creation? Can you define these things for us?
0: Yeah, so appreciative inquiry is this, uh, it's our primary facilitation methodology that we use. Um, And and, in a nutshell what it is, is it's a strengths-based, strengths-focused, generative approach to creating conversations, Mm. to include voices, and to enable systemic change. It's actually Mm. been used used in workplaces, uh, actually around the world to Heighten creativity to boost engagement to strengthen relationships to increase revenues. I'm sure many of mm. nonprofits would like to do that. Uh, to reduce yes. costs to improve profitability. To which, by the way, as a nonprofit, we need profitability, right? It's just right. a tax status, not a business model. Absolutely. And we also need to, uh, in order to st- enhance sustainability of the the efforts themselves. But mm. in a, in a nutshell, what it is is it's a, it's the search for the best of what has been what is and what could be, and us mm. doing that together as a collective. Mm.
1: So instead of like saying what's wrong and how do I fix it, Appreciative Inquiry helps us ask what's possible, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. and uh, the founder of uh, Appreciative Inquiry was a gentleman named Dr. David Cooper writer out of Case Western University. One of the things that he said is, is that we live in a world our, qu- our questions create. The quality of our questions are what shape our future, mm. and so what appreciation or appreciative inquiry does is it it leans into appreciation first, mm. and it, you know to look at some of these definitions. Appreciate is to value and to increase in value. I love mm. the the play on yeah. words that appreciation has, and inquiry is the is the process of exploring and discovering to ask questions and being open to seeing new possibilities. Mm. And while some people sometimes will see this as a um, a space that comes out of positive psychology but what it really is is not just positivity right because that right. can get bland and that can get like wait are we actually going to figure False. things out right. it's yeah. actually based upon strengths hmm. um, in fact Peter Drucker the old uh, the late management uh, psychologist and uh, organizational management person said the task of leadership is to create an alignment of strengths making a system's weaknesses irrelevant but let me actually give that. you a specific example, which I'm sure many of you, especially if you have kids uh, in elementary, middle, or high school, can probably relate to this. You know, my daughter came home the other day with a report card and said, um, or showed me that she had like three A's, two B's, and a C. Now, how do I approach this? Now, I now I know <laughs> as as you know, I like I like teach on this stuff, right? right. I know. What I need to do, which is I need to focus on the strength. And I know that based on the science that the more that I unpack with her, what helped her get an A mm-hmm. will actually be what will help her to mm-hmm. raise that C. But now, what do I do sometimes, of course, still? Right?
1: Focus on that C. I, right to up. the C, right? Yes. Right to the C.
0: I'm 100%. like, so, uh, so what happened with your C? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Appreciative <laughs> inquiry and the science behind it says how might we look at what are the strengths right Mm. what created the space and the the conditions that allowed for my daughter to get A's Yes. and we know again based upon the science behind this that the more we focus on those strengths of what helped her to get an A is actually what's going to help her raise that C versus me focusing on the C
1: right is
0: actually less is actually less effective and less helpful Mm.
1: Yeah, I love that. So instead of focusing on what's wrong, we focus on where we're strong. And then instead of saying or telling things to people, we use questions to help unlock a deeper conversation that can yeah. generate change. Yeah, I love that. That question about or that quote about we live in a world our questions create is such a a mind opener for me because I feel like, you know, oftentimes as a leader, one, you do go right to what's the problem because that's your job to fix it, supposedly, right? Mm-hmm. Although maybe not anymore. But two, we tell people instead of ask people. Mm -hmm. And that fundamental shift of approach to instead of telling, asking is is such a powerful, powerful shift. Well, Well, I love that. Yeah, go ahead.
0: And what you're getting hitting on with questions. You know, there's a there's a famous case study uh, around British Airways. And, you know, they had this issue with their baggage, like mm-hmm. anybody on this podcast and listeners ever gone to the airport, you know, you flew from one place to another place and you show up and there your bag is not right. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah. crap. Oh, shoot. What's going to happen? <laughs> this has actually happened to me internationally before. That's even worse. Always. <laughs> right. Yes. And you get there and, you know, your bag's not there. Well, they had this problem at scale, like the bag- bags were arriving late on a regular basis for their customers. And so they had, a, they had an option to ask themselves different types of questions. Mm. One question, which is not necessarily wrong, it's a lot of how we typically approach these things, is how do I solve this baggage problem, right?
1: Right. How yeah. do I
0: solve the baggage problem? And, you know, so there's a need, there's an analysis of causes, there's possible solutions, and then there's action planning. Well, in this case, what they, what they ended up asking themselves was a better question. And the, mm. the, this question shaped their future before the future even arrived. Mm-hmm. And that was, how might we create an exceptional arrival experience?
1: Right. Totally right? different. Totally so different. So different. Yeah.
0: Right. And so they started to go into that space of generating what is the best of who they have been and what is mm-hmm. the what is, and what do we actually even want in the first place? Mm-hmm. These types of questions start to shift uh, as again, as David Cooper said, start to shape the future before the future even rise. Mm. And these are strengths-based questions. And so, uh, and they were able to solve their problem and get more even, you right. know, and go beyond just by asking a different question ahead of time.
1: That is so powerful. That is so powerful. So you've told us a lot about appreciative inquiry. Let's talk a little bit about co-creation. What, what is that?
0: Well, you know, it's, it, it, it's a fascinating uh, space that I've continued to learn more about um, Especially in terms of some of the tension that, that it brings up for people. Mm. Here's what I've learned. We come from a world where it was important for the, it was, it was the job of the leader to be the few who had the answers, right? Right. And in a world where the speed of change was not nearly as complex or as fast, all right, we're seeing exponential curve type of growth around the speed of change and the complexity of change that exists around us. Yeah. Especially in the nonprofit space. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, we come from a world that, that said that a leader, their job was to be the few who had the answers.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, but we're not in a space right now where, one, because of the amount of change, that we're able to really even have all the answers, first of all, right? Right. Uh, and second of all, we need to figure out how might we unlock the best mm-hmm. of our, in the heads and the hearts of the people that we work with, that we serve. How might we co-create solutions with those we even like, you know, have programs mm. built around? Yes. Uh, how might we co-create a donor program with our actual donors?
1: Right. And
0: people. Yes. Um, but this it's a courageous journey of one admitting, hey, I don't have all the answers. And two, what we know is, is that people have energy towards what they get to create. Mm. In fact, I'm learning yes. this right now with uh, somebody on our team. I'm exploring and realizing some of the language that she had been using with me was uh, around Um, not feeling like she saw herself in some of our programs.
1: Mm.
0: And I was like, you know what I realized is co-creation came up for me. I was like, I have not created the right space Mm. of co-creation. I've not included a psychologically safe space for her voice to be included in a real Mm. way. Mm. And so what I've realized with co-creation is that, um, it requires courage. It requires, um, uh, a desire to actually seek the real voices right in an honest yeah. genuine way none of us like to receive questions that people don't actually want to know the answers to 100 percent, right yeah um but what i've also learned is that in co-creation it does unlock collective intelligence
1: yeah
0: uh, it unlocks uh, by engaging all voices through a variety of different types of methods uh, that create space for all voices to come in and let me give you an example of that we use a tool one uh, in our in our process called easy retro. I love it. It's a great tool so and, good. and it's a way, um, we've all been a part of those meetings where, uh, this happens in board meetings all the time where we have the vocal minority and the, and the silent majority, right? You have yeah. a group of 15 people in the room and three of them are talking the whole time mm-hmm. and yeah. 12 of them haven't said a word, right? Does that mean those 12 don't have voices? Of course not. Does that mean those 12 don't have anything to say? I mean, maybe some of them, perhaps, I don't know. But the fact that we have not even created the space that allow for all voices to come in the room is a problem. So for example, some of the things that we have that we've done in co-creation is created a space like using tools like Easy Retro, uh, which literally we ask questions up in the Easy Retro and allow for our staff, and we've done this with like, what, 150 people on the Zoom yeah. once, right? Yep. Where they're able to, put their voice up in there in a typed way, right? That's one yeah. tool. But there are multiple different types of choreographies that allow for the uh, process of unlocking and bringing mm. all voices into a room.
1: Yeah, I love that. And what it speaks to for me is this idea that I think has really gained prominence in the last 10 or so years is that um, there there's so many different types of knowledge and that we need to create systems that value all of those different types of knowledge and knowing. Mm-hmm. right? It used to be that you know the person who went to the best school and had the best resume was the one who knew, and we mm-hmm. only gave prominence to quote unquote expert voices. And I think what we know now is that there's so many different types of knowledge Um, And that they're all important to designing and building the best thing. And co-creation is the vehicle that allows us to create the space for those different types of knowledges to come out.
0: It's so true. I mean, we were just in a workshop earlier today, Sarah, right? And and that woman, the nonprofit leader that was in there was sharing about, I'm a different type of leader. Like, I don't need to be the loud, loud leader. That's not actually who I am. All of the people... All of your people at a nonprofit are leaders because they have influence over the work that you do. Right. And if they have influence, which they do, whether whether it's a positive influence Mm. or a negative influence is another question, an appreciative influence or a depreciative influence. But each one of them have leadership and each one of them have, to your point, unique knowledge that they bring into this these experiences. And so how might we create the conditions that allow for those types of things to thrive?
1: hundred percent. Well, yeah.
0: And I, the other point, too, that I realized as well is DEIB is a big topic, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging.
1: Yes.
0: Big topic in, in our space uh, and, and needs to be. It's an important uh, and vital lens that we need to view the world within. But I found that so many people are missing it when it comes mm. to the very meetings that we have. Right. hundred percent. Staff meetings, yeah. board meetings. Like we talk about it and maybe we'll bring in like diverse staff, quote unquote, but we actually don't create a space of inclusion of the diverse voices, right? right? We have, we do this with uh, meetings. Uh, I I remember doing a workshop with uh, the Colorado Nonprofit Association. and I appreciated their vision. Uh, The topic was around reimagining culture and connection. And I was like, if we're going to reimagine culture and connection, don't just get a panel up on on stage, have four people yakking at people for the next 75 minutes. And they had the vision to really look into this and see, how do we bring this group, and there was like 125 people in this room, it was in person, how do we bring the diverse voices of everybody in the room into the room in some way, right. shape, or form? Yeah. And so a lot of what co-creation is the is the process of creating those conditions and the psychologically safe spaces for voices to all really come in.
1: 100%. And what I love about what you just said and about this this frame is that it is a really practical way it's a practical approach to inclusion right like and before I think it was hard for folks to put their finger on what it meant to include people and co-creation is the process by which uh, inclusion of all voices can happen so if you're sitting there thinking I like this how do I do it the answer or one of the answers is 100% Mm co-creation. Yeah. Tucker, as we think about kind of, you know, the core concept of this podcast is the next normal of nonprofits. Why is appreciative inquiry and co-creation, why are these two things the next normal of strategic planning?
0: Well, we've already spoken to some of it. One is the rate of change, right? The rate of change, yeah. the speed and complexity of change that's happening around us mm. is moving well beyond what we're able to adapt to in the old ways that we've done things. Right. Right. So your strategic planning process that you've gone through where you and your board and maybe a consultant go into <laughs> I like to jokingly call it your like leadership cave. Yeah. Right? You go on your board retreat and you don't include the voices of your staff. And by the way, when I say include the voices of your staff, um I don't mean by checking off a box of obligation by doing a survey. I mean, they feel they feel humanly involved in the process. Um, But with this world speed going so fast, we need to unlock the leadership in all of our team. Mm. And so what co-creation does and appreciative inquiry in that approach actually really does do some of that. Mm. Um, And I think, too, to what we just shared around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging is we have an imperative to create an inclusive environment. It's exactly yeah. what we just talked about. So there's this imperative for us to include these voices because we need to create spaces. Um, and well, and the other reason is is because, I mean, Sarah, you've seen this, the frontline staff have more of the answers and more of the knowledge than a board member who's, who's mostly uh, not engaged in the process, right? Who's yes. not in the trenches of the work. And that's what I love is when the board members and the frontline staff get together in a real honest experience of connection and strategic planning uh, because it creates a space where, the, as you said, there's so much, type, there's so much knowledge yeah. that's there and we need to tap into it.
1: Totally. Yeah, for me, I, I think those two are right on. As a nonprofit leader myself, um, you know, I was recently the vice president of programs at a national organization focusing on civic engagement and, and service learning. And, and one of the things I'm super passionate about is making an impact and measuring that impact. And I'll tell you, just to be totally honest, that when I started working, you know, I came in, I, I, I had a duty to run some programs that operated across 11 states and 250 schools right it was a big program and there was a lot that needed to be changed about it and I came in I made some changes and then I gave it to the staff and I said here you go go implement it and uh, it didn't work that well I'm just gonna (laughs) go right to the chase people were like I'm sorry excuse me I've been here doing this program for in some cases 10 years and you're gonna come in here tell me what's wrong and then tell me how to do it better -uh, nah uh-uh And so, you know, I really learned and I said, okay, if I know there's changes that need to be made based on the research around effective practices of service learning and there's knowledge in the staff who have been doing this, how can I combine those things? to produce the best possible outcome. And so we started doing things like having, you know, summer working groups that were designed around specific challenges or problems that we had seen come up over the year, the course of the school year, that we knew we wanted to make changes for in in, um, the new school year. And so we got into the cycle or rhythm of, learning, forming co-created working groups to address Mm. the problem, and then implementing the solutions that we had learned. And so it was like a yearly rapid learning cycle that we got into that was all about staff voice. And Mm. that for me as a leader, I was like, this is the answer. There's no other way to work. Um, Because I saw staff have ownership over what they wanted to do. And that was what generated the biggest impact.
0: You know, and Sarah, one of the things that's on the minds of a lot of nonprofit leaders right now is uh, employee uh, staffing, culture and engagement, things like that. What did that do for your culture? Like, what did that do for your staff? Uh, Any any stats or data or, or even just stories that you have around what that approach ended up doing and shifting in your organization?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, within the program team, we developed um, a very different culture than was true in the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. And it was one that in which um, connection was centered. So every time we had a meeting or a gathering, we first connected and in which we could have real transparent, open conversations, right? We created psychological safety, which we know is at the base of a high performing team, and so, really, that co creation is what significantly created a, a great culture. But the culture, in some ways, was conv- confined a little bit to the program team, where I was leveraging those approaches. Um, and, uh, and I saw, you know, staff stay on, I saw them be satisfied with their jobs. I saw them go out and really try hard right at their work, even when they didn't always have all the resources that they needed to do it. So mm. that's a little bit about what I saw.
0: Well, and I think what you're hitting on is, is, that appreciative inquiry and co-creation, this type of process and approach is not, this is not a nice to have it's a new right. way of of leading right yes. it's a it's a more updated way of leading but it's not a nice to have if we're all if for example i know that there was an independent review found uh on appreciative inquiry that 90 percent of appreciative inquiry change approaches succeed in workplaces there's some fascinating stats too there was this one uh, organization nutrimental foods they invited employees to help transform the organization's strategy they leveraged appreciative inquiry, mm. and within one year, they had increased productivity by 23%. They had decreased absenteeism by 300%. Wow! Whoa! They increased uh, the sales of their of their work uh, by 27%, and they were able to be more profitable. Which again, as a nonprofit, we need to be profitable. It's just that our profit doesn't go to shareholders; it goes back into our mission. Uh, but they were able to grow their profitability by 200%. Wow! I mean this type of work has backing has significance and especially in this day and age that we exist in right now around um around the great uh, the great resignation that people call i've been calling it the yeah. great reassessment right people are reassessing whether or not they want to you know i mean our, our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout and they're reassessing whether or not they really want to be involved in those types of cultures right right well this yeah. is a very active and uh, or a very um Science-backed type of way of going about doing particularly strategic planning, but also any of your work in your meetings uh, That will help you increase your ability to ha- maintain staff retain staff I noticed this by the way a newer stat um, on the longevity of fundraisers mm. It used to be 18 months, which is still terrible. It's Nothing. down to like 10 months now wow. the longevity of fundraisers inside of organizations is 10 months that like is cr- that that crazy. hurts the nonprofit that hurts the fundraiser that hurts the ed that hurts the donors that hurts everybody involved in the whole process
1: yeah you can't even i mean 10 months you're not even you've barely you can't even get to know an organization in 10 months that is insane yeah i 100 percent agree i mean for me as a as a leader once i began to use these approaches there was no other approach to use it wasn't like oh i can go back to having all the answers and the top down it was immediately, uh, oh, no, this is the new way that leaders are going to make a difference. Um, well, so, you know, we, we have folks listening here that are like, this sounds great. How do I do it? What What does that look like? What are some practical ways nonprofit leaders can use appreciative inquiry and co-creation to support orga- organizational change and growth?
0: Well, yeah, you know, one step is uh, something we use um is called the eye process. Um, mm. We actually have six eyes, uh, but I'll, I'll pair it down to the like most basic eyes, which are four. Um, again, this comes out of Dr. David Cooper uh, He actually had the four D's, but we adjusted them uh, to eyes because it made a little more sense for what we were doing. But the four eyes are essentially, you know, if we have a problem, we don't ask ourselves the question, how do we solve the problem? Right. The first question we ask ourselves and the first eye is identity is what is the best of us?
1: Mm. So
0: whether that's at a high altitude level, like a strategic plan, or it's even at the lower, lower altitude level, like a a nitty gritty specific program that you're doing or a donor community or whatever. What has been the best of you? Uh, So you start there. You start from where what are the strengths Um, from identity? So what is the best of us? That's appreciating your past, defining your strengths is you actually go into the future first. Mm. Uh, Some powerful research from Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who's an organizational psychologist, said That when we bring elements of the future into the present it makes the present that much more relevant and real for Mm. us and so you need to go there though for a moment which is what is our bright future so that second eye is imagine so you go from the best of the past into the best of the future and envisioning what we collectively believe is our bright future so a way of asking that is uh, you could say again based on the altitude of work that you're doing a year from today what do we what do we want to be celebrating about our donor program?
1: Mm.
0: Right. Beyond yeah. just revenue. What do we want to feel? What does it want? To, what do we want it to sound like? You can even do it like a week from today. I could even do it at the end of today. What do I want to see? Right. It doesn't matter yeah. how you can go five years from today, whatever you want. But, you know, in terms of that, uh, but that imagine is the next I. Uh, the I after that comes in uh, with innovate, which is how might we then take action? So based upon the best of the past and what we are saying that we want, well, then how might we take action? And that's mm-hmm. the innovate stage. Um, and this is a sequence you can take. Uh, and that's really into co-creating the strategy and the, st- the strategic initiatives and your desired impact outcomes that you're wanting. Um, and by the way, a little little pro tip around how might we questions. One way to create a co-created space in any atmosphere is turn any challenge that you have into a how might we question Mm, right yes i'm really struggling with uh how to get our team more engaged how might we get our team more engaged right yes that right right off the bat like turns me into being grumpy face tucker (laughs) right and into you know into saying saying statements into a space of huh. Maybe I don't need to have the answer. Maybe I can co-create that. And you can say, right. how might we? And then add a question mark at the end. And that's a simple way of starting to turn turn that mm. around. And then the final I is implement. Literally, what are our next steps? What are our next steps? Again, most people go to implement. What do we need to do? Right? right? Yeah. But the journey of getting there is really important. And so crafting some of those questions around what's been the best of us, uh, what is our bright future with Imagine? How might we take action with Innovate? And then what are our next steps with Implement? Mm. Is a good path forward around that
1: yeah i love these four questions um together and in particular i i love the you know a year from now what do we want to be celebrating because i think it opens up people all of a sudden they're able to take off the weight of expectation of what is of what's existed and just imagine and so often we just don't we don't have that space to imagine and so that that is one of the questions i love in particular but folks could use these to co-create an agenda right for their next staff meeting to 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 design something with a board member, to invite staff to use when even when engaging with clients or patients, right? We could even really have staff use these questions with the folks that they with they serve. So these eyes are super transferable and relatable, and can be used in many different ways to yep. to co-create.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then what else? What what else is coming up for you as you think about practical steps folks can take?
0: Well. I mean I think it's as you as a leader. Like I've had to reflect going back to what I said earlier. Co-creation takes courage. Yeah. Um co-creation takes the acknowledgement which by the way is one of the most important things that I'm talking to all you CEOs and EDs out there or you know people who are leading teams. One of the most important things for your staff to see in you is you changing your mind. Mm, is you is you list. being open to learning, is you saying I don't have the answers. Um, the moment you say I have the answers is the moment that you steal their energy from them, mm, right? Yeah. People have energy towards things that they get to create. And so I just encourage all of you practically to pause and to notice when you're feeling that tension rise in you, uh, which I've had to do so many times this year. Oh my gosh, Sarah, um, uh, around like I, I've noticed sometimes I'll still retreat in my little, in my own little cave, right? In my own little world of isolation thinking I, ha- I should have the answer. I should have the answer. Yeah. It's okay, right? It's okay to say, you know, I don't have the answer. And in fact, I'd like to engage all of you and let perhaps we we might discover what is the best yes. of us and what are we doing?
1: Totally. And not only I should have the answers, but sometimes I do have the answers. Is what you may be thinking mm. as a leader when a staff member comes to you. I, you know, one of my things as a nonprofit leader was, you know, I would create a set of goals with staff members and we'd be working against those throughout the year, but so often I'd have a a staff member part of what you invite when you co-create is in, you empower people and empowering people means they're going to come to you with ideas all the time <laughs> and that can be overwhelming right especially when you've set a course and you're like oh here's the course we're on and so that i feel that tension of wait we've already decided what we're going to do and a new pre- and somebody comes to you with a new idea but I think what is beautiful is the, these processes invite you or give you the opportunity to sit back and to to listen, right? To sit back and listen and think about and, and just give folks the space to share with you first as a leader and then figure out together how or whether it can fit into the, the course that you've charted mm-hmm. or if the course needs to be adjusted or changed,
0: yeah. right? Well, and we've seen this being powerful. This is why this is a part of a strategic planning uh, podcast pr- series is because right. we've seen this to be a very powerful and effective approach to literally get us away from this whole world of the strategic planning setting, s- strategic right. plan sitting on the shelf, gathering dust. Like we don't need that. We spend r- a lot of resources on strategic planning and it's important, right? As we shared in the last episode, it's important to take that space. So do it in a way that actually creates uh, the energy, creates momentum, creates culture change, right? The old Peter Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast yeah. It happens all the time. So create the conditions that allow for people to do it. And we've seen this too in some of our own stats. Uh, we had one particular uh, nonprofit that had said 83.3% agreed that this strategic planning process improved their relationships with other members of their staff. 917 agreed that after uh, this strategic planning process, people are interested in better ways of doing things. Hmm. And 100% agreed or strongly agreed that the strategic direction makes them excited for the org's future. Don't yeah. we all want that for our organizations,
1: right? Excitement, <laughs>
0: momentum, buy in alignment, agility. Yes. Yeah, like 100%. these are the things that we want in a strategic planning process and they have so much ripe opportunity for us as long as we do them right in a way that is effective for us. percent. So we got to close this one, uh, but I'm excited about the next episode. We're going to be talking about how data driven inquiry is the perfect complement to your strategic plan data driven alignment, especially. Mm. And I know you have some thoughts on on data, Sarah. I'm curious, uh, what, what might they expect in our next episode on Thrivers?
1: Yeah, well, this is a super important one. And for me, the biggest point here to make, and it goes back to there's multiple ways of knowing, is that it's not just quantitative data, right? It is not just quantitative data. We use a lot of qualitative data here at Thrive Impact to help uncover and unpack voices and knowledge that need to be Uh, added to the experience and and put together in support of the strategic direction. So next week we're gonna be talking about what are the data sets you need to look at and how do you leverage them in support of creating the path forward?
0: Well, and especially in a world of nonprofits where we have so much subjectivity.
1: 100%.
0: How do we create an objective data-driven alignment tool that allows for us all to be able to point back to um, and move forward around, yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that one. Everyone else, we're glad you all joined us for this episode. And if you're just looking in to know more about how to do all of this that we're talking about, I've got good news. Guess what? We offer free trainings every month. Uh, we have something called the Thrive Impact 101. And we, uh, we actually may start doing something called uh, Awakening Conscious Leadership 101 as well uh, every month. You can click on the link in the show notes to save your spot or just go on over to thriveimpact.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of Thriver's Nonprofit Leadership for the Next Normal.
1: Thanks, y'all.